I mean, as, as soon as we came around there, just like people started shooting. It was just crazy. Uh, and we landed. Thank God it kicked up a bunch of dust because uh, they, they were ripping at us. Um, and then when I took off from the LZ, you know, before we even touched down, the dudes were shooting off the side of the helicopter. So, um, you know, and our, our door gunners, we, when we're in that mode of flight, they can't really do much, you know, they, right. you, you don't want to shoot the, the good guys in the back, you know, so they kind of put their guns down and just let the guys in the back kind of handle it. This is the Low Level Hell Podcast, episode 20. Welcome to the Low Level Hell Podcast, a program that explores the world of rotary and fixed-wing combat aviation through the exciting stories of the men and women who experienced it firsthand. Now, here's your host, U.S. Army helicopter pilot, Brian Harris. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the show. I'm Brian. Appreciate you stopping by episode 20 as we're getting close to the end of the season. And sometimes it's hard to believe that we've actually gotten 20 episodes in the can. I think you guys are going to enjoy this one. Uh, it was a lot of fun. I didn't realize uh, talking to this guest that he and I had actually kind of crossed paths. We probably didn't meet in person, but uh, we were on the same base for uh, a handover. And uh, so it's good to hear some experiences from where he's at and hope you guys will enjoy that. I also want to say thanks to everyone for supporting on Patreon and, of course, leaving your comments, your ratings on Apple and uh, anywhere else that you can. I know some places you can leave a rating and some places you can't. So if you can, I appreciate you taking a few seconds out of your time and, and doing that for me. It really helps the show out. And, of course, again, everyone who supports through Patreon, I, I cannot thank you enough. I do have some exciting news I want to share. We have finally opened a merchandise store. I've been talking about it and thinking about it for months and months and months. So I finally uh, got off my keister and started that. I'll put a link down in the description below, and I've shared it already on Facebook, and we'll put it up everywhere we can, and I'll update the website. But yeah, you guys can take a look there. We've got some shirts, and uh, some masks, coffee mugs, things like that. So I've got several designs. Uh, some listeners of the show who do some graphic artist uh, work have been uh, gracious in supporting uh, just through creating some some pretty neat designs, so we've we've thrown those on some shirts, and uh, a, a big thanks to those guys for for supporting the show. And you know, if you have some artistic talent and like to support the show, you can just send me a note at questions at the low level dot com, or just send it to Brian at the low level podcast dot com. Sometimes the other one doesn't work. I don't I don't really know why. Well, at any rate, we'll jump into the interview now and talk to you on the other side. Brendan Madden joins us. He was a Army Blackhawk pilot, and I appreciate you taking the time to talk to us today, Brendan. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for having me on. Um, I started flying in 2005 uh, is when I went through the Blackhawk course at Old Mother Rucker um, and uh, spent most of my time in the 101st and uh, some time at Rucker. I did a tour in Honduras, which was amazing. And, uh, and that was about it. I closed it out back at Rucker. Um, pretty good time. Yeah. Just tell us a little bit about flying Hawks. Like, did you 
pick Blackhawks or did Blackhawks pick you? Yeah, no, I, I, uh, I picked Blackhawks. Uh, I, so I was enlisted before, um, and, uh, my, my first sergeant, he pulls me into the office and, uh, you know, I was, I was doing pretty well. We'd just gotten back from OIF one. Uh, I got sent to Sapper school. I was a 12 Bravo combat engineer Okay. and, uh, just got back from Sapper school. I was doing great. Um, just took over a squad, promotable E6, went to BNOC, uh, you know, so things were going well in my enlisted career. And my first sergeant pulls me into the office and he's like, Hey man, like, I can tell you're going to get really bored really fast. You know, like once you're a squad leader, you get that out of the way. And then, you know, it's just kind of admin stuff, you know, once you make platoon sergeant, um, so he's like, man, you, I think, I think you'd be better off doing something else. You know, he's like, I can get you a, an interview with like the Blackwater guys. You could do private stuff or, um, I can give you the time that you need to go train for a special forces assessment, or I can get you a really good letter of recommendation for flight. Hmm. I was like, Ooh, that sounds cool. So, uh, so I was like, yeah, let's, let's do that. And he's like, okay, well, uh, Sergeant Russell, who's a, another guy uh, I was working with at the time, he said, uh, Sergeant Russell wants to go flight too. And he's going to go down and take the, take the test down at the education center on nice. Thursday. I think this was like a Monday morning or Tuesday. He's like on, on Thursday. So once you go down with him and take the test too, I was like, all right, man, I'll, 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 I'll give it a go. So uh, I, I had zero helicopter knowledge other than the fact that I knew that, you know, the big fan on the top was what <laughs> kept them in the air, you know. So yeah. I didn't know terms like cyclic and collective. And they, I don't know if they still ask on the test, but, you know, they ask ask all that stuff and like which way does the, the rotors turn and stuff. I had no clue. Uh, so I went down and I got, you know, they make a book that has all the yeah. – um, sample questions and sample problems like the complex movements and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. So I got a book and I looked it over for a couple hours uh, and then went and took the test on Thursday and I passed. I don't think I did very well. I got like 103 and I think passing is 90. Yeah. Something uh, out of, out of 140 or 150, something like that. So, yeah, it's funny that you mentioned that because people, people will say you can't study for that test. And I, I disagree. I, I studied for that test for about two weeks because I was like you, you know, I didn't know these particular terms. And I remember getting that same, probably the same book that, that you did. I went to the, the library on Fort Knox and, and found one. And if nothing else, it prepared me for the types of questions. Because I think if you go into that test cold, you know, you're going to spend a few of those valuable minutes just trying to figure out what is this question trying to get me to do? Cause I remember there were some that like you had to Definitely. like figure out the lines, like which line is longer. And you know, there's some things you kind of had to decode and it's, you know, it's two or three minutes that you're wasting trying to figure it out instead of just answering the question. So. Yeah, definitely. I think that was a big part of it because I didn't, mm. I didn't finish all my complex movement questions uh, mm. just cause it was taking so long. I, I probably should have studied a lot more, but you know, I, I was just like, Hey, let's do it you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but, I, but I passed and, uh, I got my, um, letter of recommendation. Um, so, and that's 
kind of another funny story. Uh, my, my first sergeant, really well-connected guy, um, he, he puts me in touch with this uh, contractor that works with Chinooks over in the 160th. And he's like, yeah, I'm going to get you a really good letter of recommendation. You just come meet me at the compound uh, and I'll, I'll take you, take you on and we'll set you up a little interview and, uh, and go from there. So I meet him at the compound and, uh, my first sergeant took me over to the compound, met the guy at the gate. He signed me in and, uh, we go to this guy's office. He's got all kinds of cool pictures on the wall. (laughs) And, uh, I had no idea who the guy was. But we sit down and we just have a chat and uh, tell him a little bit about my career, what I've done so far. And uh, I, apparently he, he liked me enough because he wrote me a, a killer letter recommendation. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's like, yeah, just look for it. You know, I'll, I'll send you a copy uh, here in a, a week or so. I was like, cool. Thanks a lot. And I left. And my first sergeant picked me back up and he's like, Hey, how'd it go? And I said, I went pretty good. He said, it'll write my letter. He's like, okay, great, man. Do you have any idea who that guy was? And I was like, not a clue. And he's like, that's Carl Meyer. You know, the, the mm. legendary Carl Meyer of OH six or age six fame, you know, from uh, mm. Mogadishu and everything. Mm. So, uh, that was, that was pretty cool. And yeah, I, awesome. I, I hate to say that I had no idea who Carl Meyer was at the time, but uh, you know, I was just some idiot ground pounder, twelve Bravo out there, just living my best life. So, uh, yeah. So yeah, that's that's who wrote my letter. Uh, and looking back, I mean, I was probably a shoe in at that point, um, mm-hmm. having that yeah, letter that recommendation. But yeah, certainly. Yep. You you were at one hundred first as a as a combat engineer, so you probably spent a lot of time on Hawks. Yeah, yeah, we did. Uh, we did a lot of stuff on Blackhawks. You know, I was, mm-hmm. I, uh, I bought in a hundred percent to all the, the stuff the army. You know, like I was hua, like hard charging. Right. Um, I was so proud to be air assault. You know, all I wanted to do was go to air assault school as soon as I got to one hundred first. Um, I was a rockasan. You know, we were attached to third brigade, so, mm-hmm. um, I just I was drawing Tories on everything, you know, it was great. So, uh, so I, I really, I, I ate it up, man. I loved it. Uh, and the first time we got to ride on a Blackhawk, I was like in heaven. Uh, you know, I think that was during air assault school. Uh, right. they take you on a little orientation flight. And I was just like, Oh, this is awesome. But, uh, I actually come from some of my family, uh, are aviators, uh, as well. And, um, uh, before I even joined the army, I, I, I wanted to fly, but I didn't really think I could do it. I don't know right. if that makes sense. They, oh, yeah. they have a program for the Marines called the jump program, or they used to, uh, where you, you, it's kind of like ROTC, but you do it like your junior, senior year of college and you're mm-hmm. guaranteed a flight school spot if you, if you qualify for it. Mm-hmm. So that was my plan along. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I don't know, some things happened. I found out college really wasn't for me, so I joined the Army instead, you know. So uh, tell us about your first assignment. So you came out of flight school. Where did you go? Uh, back to the 101st, yeah. Okay. Um, like I said, I was so proud to be in the 101st and, uh, you know, part of that team, have that combat patch on my shoulder. So um, 
I just, I wanted to go back to the 101st and be the guy that flew around guys like me. You know what I mean? Right. So, uh, so yeah, I wanted, I wanted Blackhawks and I wanted Campbell. And at the time, you know, it was 2006, that was the surge time. So, mm-hmm. uh, if you wanted Blackhawks and either Bragg or Campbell, you got it. Cause, uh, you know, those high op tempo units at the time, you know, were just hurting for guys. Yeah, so, absolutely. um, and, and everybody else wanted OH 58s or Apaches. And, uh, I was like, yeah, I think I'm pretty safe with Blackhawks and Campbell. So, uh, so yeah, I got it. Went to the fifth battalion of the 101st and, uh, started my aviation journey there. So you were, when you were prior enlisted, what was your rank? You were E5 or 6? I was a E5, but I made points in walk school. Okay. So um, I got a, I guess I got a promotion. I got, I got a couple, couple months of paying, uh, getting paid as an E6. All so. right. So you show up to your first aviation unit. Now you're a Woj. Oh man. You know, it, it's, it's like. I'm sure a lot of other warrant officers feel the same way. You're going from, we're warrant officers, so we're, we're kind of high achievers already yeah. to meet the vetting and the screening process and everything. And then, you know, you, you're coming from somewhere where you're you're doing well, and then they mm-hmm. put you in this pool of other guys who are just as good as you, and most of them are better, or some of them are better. And uh, it was a, it was a hard thing to deal with for me, you know, cause I was used to being like the, the poster child of the, the company, you know? Yeah. And then, uh, going there as a woge and you're nothing again, you know, uh, <laughs> that was, that was kind of tough. And for, for listeners who don't know, what we're talking about the uh, column woge is warrant officer junior grade. So essentially new pilots showing up, uh, you know, brand new warrant officers, you know, you're, you're kind of just the new guy and you're going to get stuck with the go make coffee and, and go sandbag for the MTP, the, the maintenance test pilot, and, you know, just do odd jobs and stock the fridge, things like that. So, um, yeah, it can be, a, it can be a little bit of a culture shock for people. I mean, for me, I, I had been a commission guy and then went warrant. So my last job before flight school was a company command. And then I show up to my next unit as a, as a woge and yeah, it's, it can be a little bit of a like, Oh my gosh, what, what happened? Where am I? You know? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, it was, it was actually really good for my, uh, my personal development, you know, cause that, mm-hmm. that identity of, uh, Sergeant Madden, you know, it's like, I had to leave that behind and it took right. me a little while. Um, I remember this is, this is a funny story. Uh, we were in Afghanistan, uh, which was where we deployed, you know, I, I, I think I got there in, uh, in May and I got through most of my progression and then we deployed to Afghanistan the next like January I believe I think mm. I can't I can't really remember but uh anyways uh we were given a I was given the crew brief and uh the one of the one of the crew chiefs on on duty with us was a staff sergeant really good guy and I was telling him, I say, yeah, if we go down, you know, we're like doing the evac plan and everything. And I was like, yeah, if we go down, I'm taking one of the 240 Bravos, you know, and I'll take the kit. Um, and he's like, whoa, 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 chief, you know, like, 
Why, why do you get one of the 240 Bravos? They're in the back with us. And I said, because I can hit an accurate initial burst at 600 meters, you know, 240 Bravo, you know, like mm -hmm. just thinking I'm hot shit. And he's like, right. okay, Superman, you know, and that now that name stuck with me in uh, <laughs> the 101st. My nickname was Superman, uh, but uh, it was, uh, it was pretty funny. So going through progression, uh, I mean, tell us a little bit about, you know, we've had a lot of attack and, and recon guys, you know, I'm a 58, 64 guy. So tell us a little bit about training a new Blackhawk pilot. Like what is your focus? So I was in a air assault company. Uh, so our, our big thing, you know, the, the legacy of fifth battalion was that, you know, task force one sixtieth was taken from fifth battalion. So, hmm. um, you know, and, and there was a long, um, tradition that the 160th would uh recruit heavily from fifth battalion um so there was a lot of guys in fifth battalion who had been there that was their only um their only blackhawk duty ever you know they, they they call it homesteading now or whatever like you could do that back then you know if you wanted to be in the 101st and the 101st the fifth battalion wanted you there uh, then you could stay as long as you want. I actually knew a guy uh, who was an untracked W-4 in 5th Battalion, got wow. there as a Woj, and uh, and spent a lot of time there and ended up retiring. They, they told him, they said, hey, you either got to go to, go to a, like a track uh, or you got to retire. And he was like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not tracking. I'm retiring. <laughs> so he just insane. got out. Yeah. And for everyone, a, a track means uh, there, there's four basic tracks: is safety, instructor, pilot, uh, tac ops. Of course, they I guess they changed the name of tac ops there, and then uh, uh, maintenance test pilot. But I mean, normally you get tracked at you know W two, pretty j relatively junior, G four and officer two. You're talking about a guy who's yeah he's retiring. He didn't even track. That's crazy. Yeah, it was uh, it was legendary, and when when I. <laughs> I ended up going down to Fort Rucker and tracking IP. And yeah. uh, when I was down there, you know, we'd sit through these OPDs and we're like, we're not going to have any more untracked W4s. And I was like, Hey, I know who you're talking about. But, uh, <laughs> great, great guy. Great guy. You know, sure. they, they really lost a, a real one when they forced him out, but uh, <laughs> really excellent pilot. But uh, yeah, so we, we trained for the air assault thing. Um, there was an air of superiority, like, like we were, one sixtieth minus. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, we were <laughs> JV. <laughs> we were fifth battalion. You know what I mean? We're yeah. like the junior one sixtieth. But uh, I mean, I didn't feel that way, but I think a lot of people did. You know, it was a, uh, it was a real. Um, the guys were really proud to be over there. You know, so, uh, so that's what we practiced. Um, was you know a lot of time on target stuff. Uh, planning the planning process, uh, you know, doing your different planning cycles and stuff like that, uh, and then briefing, you know, briefing the the air mission brief and all that stuff uh, was was what the what the focus was on, uh, you know, because the flying is not the hard part; it's all the coordination and the moving parts and everything um, of an air assault. For people who don't know the the term assault, because this confused me when I first came in aviation, you know, I think the lay person, when they hear the word assault, they're, they're thinking of, of shooting stuff and blowing stuff up. But it's, it's really about delivering uh, 
troops onto the objective or, or very close to the objective. And so uh, assault battalions, that's what they really focus on is, is you know, large scale formation movements, you know, battalions and brigades and things like that of just picking up hundreds of troops and, and cycling, cycling aircraft through and picking up a bunch of dudes and dropping them off somewhere and coming back, grabbing some more, going back in. And yeah, the level of coordination, you know, I was a, uh, Alpha 3 OC at JRTC, so the, the ops uh, OC down there, and uh, to watch these large-scale air assaults. I mean, the, the amount of planning that has to go into that, uh, like you said, the flying part's relatively easy, um, though I don't think we give lift guys enough credit when it comes to landing on the LZ, you know, first time. You know, a, a, a flight of six aircraft coming in, in the dark, never been to the LZ before, and stick in the landing, you know, on the way in, you know, cause, cause dumb 58 guys like me, you know, we got, we got to circle overhead like two or three times before we feel comfortable landing somewhere. But, um, yeah, but the sheer amount of, of, uh, preparation and planning that has to go into, to these large scale movements and it's down to the minutes, you know, I mean, it's cause it's fuel, right? I mean, it's a matter of, I've got this many dudes, so I can only carry this much fuel. And I've watched, I've watched air assaults at Jerry to see slide five, six hours to the right all because oh, yeah. of a two minute, you know, three minute screw up because the troops weren't ready on the, you know, in the right spot on the PZ, the pickup zone to get on the aircraft. And some smart, you know, Blackhawk guy figured out the math and said, well, we don't have enough gas now because of the screw up. Now we got to go get more gas. And, you know, it just, it becomes a real cluster. So that planning is huge. Yep. Uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's the fun stuff. Not really fun, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but you know, yeah, like when when you coordinate all that stuff and uh, and and it it comes together and you go and execute mm -hmm. it, man, it's a it is a good feeling. I feel like I'm taking care of those guys. You know what I mean? When we put them in the right place, with you know at the right time, you know, like they they can at least trust us until they get off the helicopter. You know that that we're gonna do them right. You know, so I take a lot of pride in that. And I think that was that level of. Um, the air of superiority from the fifth battalion and the 101st was, was from that, you know, like they were all of the same mind, you know, we're taking care of soldiers, putting them where they need to go at the right time, you know, but you know, something that really blew my mind was I went to the 101st expecting there was going to be guys from the 101st in the back of my helicopter. But then when mm -hmm. we deployed, it wasn't the case. You know, I think we had like some right. 10 mountain guys that were supporting on the ground. And I think to all that modular army stuff that uh, that they were doing back then, you know, just putting different brigades with whoever was there at the time. Um, but uh, we did get to support some 101st guys, I think, in, the, in my second deployment uh, quite a bit. So that was cool. Yeah. Yeah, the plug and play made it difficult to to train and, and fight as you train, as they talk about, because everyone kind of trains a little bit differently, and especially with something like an yeah. air assault, because if you know, I spent most of my time at Bragg, so you know, we did a lot of the, the same type of stuff, and um, you know, and then then you go overseas and you're with guys from First Cab Division or you know some other yeah. heavy brigade, and they don't they don't do that stuff, you know. Um, yeah, and it gets no. it gets a little funky, so. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Uh, so tell us a little bit about your uh, first deployment. You said Afghanistan. Yeah, yeah, Afghanistan. I was the Woj. I think I got promoted right before we deployed, mm. and uh, I just I absolutely hated it. It was it was awful. We got 
we got stuck. So we were in a salt company and uh, we got broken off. I don't know how the task force structure got organized, but uh, we got stuck with the um, the GSAB, the other battalion, mm-hmm. 6th Battalion. So we were supposed to be in a salt company uh, with the GSAB, but uh, the GSAB guys were like, no, you guys are going to do the other stuff and we're going to do the assaults. You know, mm-hmm. so there was a there was a big, uh, big competition there. Um, so it, it, I was a little jaded, you know, during that deployment because we did a lot of like VIP. Um, you know, I was a Woj, so I got stuck flying with the SP a lot. And uh, I'm pretty sure he really did not like me. So, uh, so that was fun. He asked me about, he asked me about chaff one time and you know, we're flying. We'd just taken off from Bagram and he's like, okay, Woj Madden, or I can't remember what he called me. He didn't call me Brendan, but uh, he said, okay, Woj, you know, tell me about the chaff. I'm like the chaff, like, why, what, why do you want me to tell you about that? We're not in a radar threat environment. You know, he's like, well, you need to know it. I was like, okay, well, I, when I study, I don't study anything about chaff. He's like, okay, got it. So that made it super awkward for the rest of the six hour flight. (laughs) But, uh, then like a, a week later, I'm on the schedule with him again. And I'm like, I hope he doesn't ask me about chaff. <laughs> and first thing he does, we take off, start flying. He's like, okay, tell me about the chaff. I'm like, seriously? You know, like, I still didn't look at it. And he's like, you know what? When when the SP asks you a question, you don't know the answer. You're flying with them again. I'll suggest you go and get that answer. And I was like, man, I just, it, it didn't make sense to me why he's asking these questions about chaff. But, mm-hmm. um, but I never looked it up. I still don't know about chaff. <laughs> so. Well, every instructor pilot, and you know this because you because you are one uh, or were one. Is every instructor pilot seems to have their little their little niche that they they focus on. That was the trick on a check ride: is figure out well, what does Mister So and So like to talk about? You know. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, but uh, we we flew a lot in that deployment. Uh, we were doing like eight to nine hour days, uh, just flying all over the place. We had, we had some extra woges. So, um, it, I still only got about 450 hours, which is about, about average, uh, for that deployment because we were doing those eight, nine hour days. Uh, but you know, I only flew like three to four days a week. So, um, a lot of the other guys that were doing those eight or nine hour days and they didn't have any time off, like the Apache guys, they were so short staffed that they, they, they had to like, it was hard for them to take a day off to get their reset oh, yeah. day, you know, for the crew rest cycles and everything. So they were getting like between seven and 800 hours on the same deployment. Yeah. We were doing like 10 days on one day off, I think on my first deployment, 2006. And yeah, then, uh, 2009. It was it wasn't quite that bad, but it was it was definitely six or seven days and then a day off type thing. Yeah. So so you were at Bragg. Yep. Yep. I was in a 182, and then it reflagged to 117. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. So I, I'm sure, like, 
we ripped out like i think we replaced uh 2a2 the caveman whoever the caveman was yeah yeah we bravo, replaced them bravo both 2A2. Times. okay yeah um yeah i was actually with them in terran in 2010 oh okay uh, yeah i was the troop commander for the 58 troop that was cross attached to uh, the Apache Battalion, which owned also the the Caveman Company, so yeah, we did the whole task force thing, which yeah, which can be funky because, like you said, you were with the GSAB, which is the General Support Aviation Battalion. For those listening uh, who don't know, and that's kind of the the hodgepodge battalion of uh, Chinooks and Medevac and the what is it normally Alpha Company? I think is like the the General Support Blackhawk Company. Yeah. Yep. And, and they're the guys who are supposed to do kind of the VIP and stuff. So you, you should have been doing the assault stuff. Yeah, and that's what that's what our big uh hang up was, but I mean I was a Woj and and the the Woj isn't going to do any of the assault stuff, you know. Right. So yeah. uh it was kind of boring in that regard. I thought I was going to be doing a lot of different stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was mostly just you know, hey, take this guy out here and drop him off and wait around and then go pick him up an hour later and you know a lot of VIP um yeah. PAX movements all throughout the AO, uh, which is a huge amount of planning, you know, in itself, you know, because you got like oh, yeah. seven guys need to go here and then three get off and then you're going to pick up four. And then six of those people that are now on your aircraft are going over to this other place, you know, yeah. so it was like when you had to plan that, you know, that's that's one of the other big jobs as a Woj. You get all the air mission requests and you have to have this big stack of papers, you know, with everybody who wants to go where, and then you got to plan out the mission. So everybody gets there, you know, when, when they're supposed to get there. So, yeah, it's not a sexy job, but it's, it's, there's a lot going on. It's pretty complex. And you, you like you said, you got these onesies and twosies going all over. And then of course you got the strap hangers who can probably try to jump on. I know I've done that more than once and find a ring route oh, yeah. aircraft and jump on. Cause I need to get somewhere and I didn't, you know, I guess schedule it. So, <laughs> yep. Yep. So that was, uh, that was challenging. And then the, the, and, and in that AO, the altitudes were a lot higher. You know, I think the base altitude at Bagram was what, 5,500 or something like that, 5,000 mm, feet. Yeah. So, um, a lot of those other places, you know, were taken off with a full load at, you know, seven, 8,000 feet. Yeah. Uh, you know, we're doing our power checks and everything. And, uh, it was, it was, it was challenging. I think, flying in those mountains uh definitely um developed me as a pilot for sure sure it's a lot of fun too some of the most beautiful countryside i've ever seen in my life oh yeah yeah there's some definitely some interesting i mean there's places there in the mountains where it's like something out of star wars because you just can't fathom you know these mountains or this valley looks like this you know it just looks like from another world but uh, oh, yeah. but those altitudes too. I mean, I, I don't know what the base altitude at Campbell is, but it, it can't be that high. I mean, at Bragg it was like four hundred feet or something. So to suddenly then go to now we're operating at forty five hundred feet, and we got to get to yep. fifty five hundred just to get out of this bowl that our base is in. Yeah, it's very different. Yep, it was a it was a good time. What was your what was your second deployment? So you went to you went to Afghanistan again in what two thousand ten? Yeah, two thousand ten eleven. Uh, okay. Second deployment. I, I always tell people. It was the most fun I never want to have again, because so, <laughs> right. uh, it was uh, it was it was intense, you know. So if if you know, like I, I don't know if I'm can say all 
all this stuff, but you know, Task Force sixty six was out there and Oh yeah. Uh, we were direct support for the Australian SAS. Yeah. And yeah, because you were a Terran time, cop. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And by that time, I was uh, I was a PC, you know, pilot in command, uh, flight lead, and all that stuff. So I was in the thick of it. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's uh, I I agree with you. That that was for me, fun wise, was probably the best deployment, and it had a lot to do with where we were and the customer that we worked with because we had the same guys. I mean, some of those guys I still talk to to this day. Yeah, um, yeah. The, the task force guys, um, but just the real dynamic mission set and being able to to just you're away from the flagpole i think was the best part yeah you know definitely. and you just kind of got to just do work and and it was all the stuff that you, you practice for and train for and unfortunately for you guys i think you kind of showed up i mean you were still doing work but what we noticed on our deployment before that we were the first ones to get up there and, and kind of do that stuff at the tempo that we were and in the first couple months, I mean, it was game on. Like it was constantly just catching bad guys. And then after a while, they yeah. kind of got wise to, oh, four Blackhawks just took off with, you know, two fifty eights. So somebody's about to get nabbed, you know, and they, they would kind of react and it, it slowed down a little bit. So, but I mean, tell us a little bit about that. Like what, what was that like from the, from the lift perspective? You're, you're carrying these, you know, these, these pretty awesome dudes onto these missions. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, that, that's, uh every lift pilot or every assault pilot's like dream job, you know, that, that deployment was just, uh, it, you know, it had the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. You know, we lost, uh, we lost an aircraft. Um, and then our sister company, Bravo company, they lost a, an aircraft doing a similar mission with, with the seals, you know? So, um, it was, it was really rewarding. Uh, but it was, uh, you know, really, really stressful at the same time. So, um, but yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's your dream job. You're putting these guys, um, you know, literally landing in, in some dude's backyard, uh, and the SAS is going out to snatch them up, you know? Um, so, and the op tempo maybe took a small dip when we first got there, but man, it picked, picked right up because we were doing, two to three mission sets a month, you know, mm -hmm. in the, in the height of the fighting season. Right. Um, doing that stuff. So, uh, so yeah, we, we, we kept your legacy going strong. <laughs> so, and you were talking about the organizational structure. This was another, uh, I don't know if it was good or bad, but, uh, at the time we thought it was great. So the, uh, we, we, we were attached to, the Apache task force. So yeah. the, the Apache battalion commander was in charge of the task force. Great guy, mm -hmm. uh, Colonel Haskins. And, uh, he didn't really know what lift guys did. Yeah. So <laughs> he just let us do whatever we wanted to do. Uh, and that's, that's kind of a stretch, but you know, we, we told him, Hey, these are our capabilities. This is what we want to do. And he'd yeah. straight up look you in the eye and say, can you guys do that? He's like, yeah, we can do that. I was like, okay. So, uh, we kind of had free reign with him, um, to really, really take the fight to the enemy, you know? Mm -hmm. So, uh, I, I know when the other, uh, brigade from the 101st replaced us, they put a bunch of, uh, restrictions on them. Like they had to be 500 meters from any target building. Mm -hmm. Um, they, 
they couldn't do the uh, the rapid planning cycles like we were doing. Mm. Um, so they put a lot of restrictions on them, and I, I think they kind of dampened the dynamic uh, that that we had going. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, it was a, it was a lot of fun. You know, you're just sitting in a room with a bunch of operators just waiting for something to happen, and then yeah. we go develop the go develop the fight. So yeah, that was some of the most fun. Is just kind of hanging out with those dudes, and you know, because we would do like these week long mission windows, and you know, you already yeah you already did all the briefs, you knew the target, you knew the target area, and you were just kind of you go pre flight the aircraft, and then go hang out at their compound, and just basically wait for somebody to yell Irene, you know, and, and run out and spool up and go. Um, yeah. the, the big question is, did they invite you guys to their their barbecues on Sundays? They had the the meats. Yeah, they they did. Right. <laughs> um, the the first group uh, we were with, um, those guys were like super, super professional. Uh, Mm -hmm. so they didn't, they didn't hang out with us too much. Mm -hmm. Um, cause I, I don't know, I I guess we didn't really have that, that bond with them, but, uh, but we did a lot of work for them. Um, there was, uh, the, the the battle at Tzak, uh, the big, um, where I don't know if you, if you still talk to those guys, like, the Ben Robert Smith thing mm, uh, where he yeah. got the Victoria cross. Right. Um, so that was, that was with that first group that we were with. And uh, they, they really, after that mission, they, they generated so much like Intel, uh, like Intel was going back to Pakistan, like dudes from Pakistan are calling like, Hey, what, why did this happen? It was a pretty big fight. Uh, and, some of the effects from that, that battle, like the, there was that route bear that went from oh, yeah. Tarrant like through the pass down to Kandahar. Yep. And guys were getting killed on that, that route. Like, I don't know if it was daily, but at least weekly, you know, the yeah. IED attacks. Right at that halfway point. Yep. Um, and that was around, uh, uh, Shawali Kat, the Chinartu area and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. After that big battle, uh, there wasn't another IED attack on Route Bear for over a year. So uh-huh. uh, we we really, really did a good job. And that was like the last big mission uh, for that group before they ripped out with the new group. So mm-hmm. then a new group shows up, and they were uh, just as professional, but their attitude was a little bit different. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know if they were like a younger group of dudes but uh but they they invite us to more barbecues if you will yeah um so and then the 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 enemy really didn't want to fight after that big battle the that battle at tzak uh, they were we we went on a couple more mission sets and literally um the the isr was uh relaying us back information you know, from what the guys on the ground were, were picking up, you know, we're, we're saying the enemy and, mm-hmm. uh, they started calling us the monsters. They said, Hey, the monsters are coming. The monsters are coming. <laughs> like just put down, put down your guns, like hide your weapons, like do not yeah. fight them. They will kill us all. You know? <laughs> so, uh, so that was, I guess, kind of cool, you know? Yeah. Um, but, uh, well, it's funny cause we had a similar experience where, um, we were just north of TK doing something with, uh, I think it was the, it was either the commandos 
the Aussie commandos or just the the base Aussie infantry guys. I know it wasn't the task force yeah. dudes, but uh, we showed up and the JTAC comes over the, the radio and he's laughing, and uh, he says, "So they saw you coming, and they, you know, it's fifty eights, and they 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 called out on the radio. The guy yelled out. He said, "The special helicopters are here. Run for your lives." <laughs> Oh, nice. So, so yeah, we always like to hear those things, and I I think they uh they called us the soulless ones in the fifty eights because oh, really? they could see us, and you know we all wore those mandible shields, yeah. um and and I think with the fifty eights I could actually see the pilots because you know we'd get down low and, and look at them and stuff, and so they just see this, you know, this faceless creature looking down at them and stuff, and so they, yeah, it's funny these little yeah. nicknames that, that come out. Um, where did you fly that battle of what would you call it? Uh, T-Zach, yeah. T-Zach, yeah. were you on that mission? I was. Well, I'm sure there's people listening right now that are going to be like, I need to know everything about that. So what can you tell us about that? Uh, it was, we weren't, we weren't really expecting that to happen at all. Uh, I don't think anybody was, but uh, mm-hmm. we, we were, like you said, we were supporting the commandos mm-hmm. and uh, they were, they were doing some like week long like clearing route bear going up in <laughs> like engaging some of these villages and stuff, having little shuras everywhere. Yeah. You know, like the hearts and minds things, just regular coin stuff. And, uh, they just started developing this situation in this Valley. And, uh, it's like the next Valley over where all the, the commandos were, they started generating some, uh, SIGANT that, Hey, like, let's get everybody together. We're going to go attack these guys. So, you know, the SAS is like, oh, I think not. So we're, we're going to beat him to the punch. So we got spun up real quick and, uh, uh, you know, same four helicopter package and, and just went into this valley in, in the morning. And it was a daylight assault. Hmm. Um, and it was like you, you poked a hornet's nest. Hmm. Like as soon as we, as soon as we came around, you know, cause I'm sure you remember all those valleys in that area. They all ran like north south. Yeah. So, yep. like we're coming from the north, and the winds were always, you know, coming from the north. So we had to come down and then circle back and go turn back to the north to go in those valleys, mm-hmm. you know, to, to remain like low level. So it was daylight, and we we're doing, you know, like offset targets. So, you know, one one helicopter was landing. And, you know, to the north for a blocking position, you know, the mm-hmm. chocks two and three were in the middle. And then the fourth helicopter was, you know, kind of far to the south. And I think I was, I was chalk three. We landed. I mean, as, as soon as we came around there, just like people started shooting. It was just crazy. Uh, and, and we landed. Thank God it kicked up a bunch of dust because mm. uh, they, they were ripping at us. Um, and then when I took off from the LZ... You know, before we even touched down, the dudes were shooting off the side of the helicopter. So, um, you know, and our, our door gunners, we when we're in that mode of flight, they can't really do much. You know, they right. you, you don't want to shoot the, the good guys in the back, you know. So they kind of put their guns down and just let the guys in the back kind of handle it. Uh, unless unless we're being, like, directly engaged, then, of course, they're going to suppress. Sure. But uh, but once, once we're on the ground, you know, those guys are getting out and everything. And uh, I took off because I was on the controls and I was just like, man, there's like everybody shooting, you know, at, at any helicopter, they're just shooting at it. 
So uh, this guy comes out of this little little hut, and I'm kind of, uh, I don't even know what, what to call it, uh, yanking and banking, you know, like just trying to stay <laughs> low and make a make a hard target. Uh, this dude pops out of this hut, man, and, and just rips about four rounds into the helicopter, the first of which went literally between my feet mm. uh, into the into the cockpit area. And I, I thought we got hit with like an RPG because it was so loud. You know, that's that's what I remember is when that bullet came through. It was just so loud and like little pieces of the floor like hit me in the face, you know. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, I'm I'm pretty sure I don't have legs right now. Um, so I had to like transfer the flight controls and like, you know, you know, they teach you how to how to check for blood, you know, yeah. in basic training. So you're like you're touching your legs, looking at your fingers. And I was like, yeah. shit, man. <laughs> so no, my legs are still here. So uh, it it was crazy though. It it actually went like I think I had left pedal in, so it went underneath my right foot mm-hmm. and through the um, the boot through the the little carbon fiber panel that sits in between the pedals, right. and then through the opposite boot in boot in front of my left foot mm. and. Uh, yeah, it was uh no behind my left foot. I can't remember. But uh that was pretty cool. I still have the the little well, I don't know if I'm supposed to say that. I still have the little bullet casing. Oh, uh, that's okay. That they yeah. that they pulled out of the <laughs> um they were asking for me or for it and I was like, Oh no, I don't I don't yeah. know where that went. So I <laughs> keep it in my wallet, you know, like a little reminder. Yeah. But uh yeah, they gave me the little the boots too, and the little piece, um, little piece of fiberglass. So I got that stashed away, you know, for the grandkids. Nice. Yeah. So, no, I I got shot in two thousand six while flying, and I've I've got the bullet and one of the other bullets that they pulled out of the aircraft. So same thing. I don't think I'm supposed to have it, but yeah, you can come take it from me. Yeah, yeah, come <laughs> take it. Right. But yeah, all of every single one of our helicopters had pretty significant battle damage. Yeah. Um, so, so we all got shut up. I, I know the, the first, the chalk one, they, they did a lot. Uh, I can't remember. They had a tally going of how many RPGs got shot at them, mm. but they were the, um, they were the, the ground commander was on that aircraft. And so they dropped off the, uh, the OP and then they had like a aerial reaction force, right. uh, a couple guys, um, so they drop off the OP and, you know, I think that was like a sniper and a couple of machine gunners and they kind of opened up the battle, but then, uh, they were just hanging out trying to coordinate any ARF support that, that was needed. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they just, I think it was like nine or 10. I can't even remember how many RPGs it was, but it was a lot. And to put that in the context for people listening, I mean, that's pretty uncommon. I can't remember any air assaults that I covered where, the the lift guys took any fire i mean maybe a sporadic round or two but i mean the type of fire that you're talking about it that was not commonplace for an assault so that's yeah, pretty no. substantial yeah yeah i i do was, remember one awesome. raid where yeah I'm, it's one of those things where it's awesome when you get away with it you know because you look yeah. back and you're like oh that was so cool um i do remember one raid where the door gun the guys were coming in they were you know, two minutes out from the LZ and, and the door gunner spotted something, which was pretty cool because it was at night. 
and uh, engage the target. But the, the area that you're yeah. talking about, was it to the, um, was it on the east side of Bear? Or do you remember? Yes. Yeah. It was okay. On the east yeah. Side I know exactly yeah. the area you're talking about. Yeah. Once, I spent... you, once you cross Bear, man, it's all no man's land out there. Oh, I know. Yeah. It's, we, we would cruise out there every now and then. I mean, we spent most of our time on bear, but I remember a couple of days where we were like, Hey, let's just go a little bit further. And we would go in that area. And I, yeah, there's a ton of little villages. And like you said, it's all those North South oh, yeah. running valleys. And you yeah. know, I, I, I cringe now, you know, thinking the back because I mean, hell, this was, you know, probably a year, less than a year before what you're talking about. So there was definitely bad guys everywhere. And we knew that, I mean, bear oh, yeah. was a bad place, but uh, I cringe to think back to us going over there just, just on our own, you know, willy nilly two fifty eights, you know, alone and unafraid yep. yeah. um, but and i laughed yeah. too when you mentioned the commandos uh kind of picking just going out for a week or two they would do the same thing when we were there they, it would just be like this random pick a direction and they would just go you know for like yep. two weeks and just kick whatever hornet's nest they could find um yep. and generally most of our engagements were because of that because they would just go out and get into it with guys I remember they entered a village one time and the, the, the villagers had asked them if they were still fighting Russians, you know, cause that's how oh, yeah. isolated these, these places are. They don't, you know, it's, they don't know what's going on. You know, they, they don't care. They're just in a village in the middle of the mountains. They don't, they don't know. Um, yep. Yeah. So that's, that's funny to see they were stuck to their old shenanigans. Yeah. Same thing. Same thing happened uh, with us. We landed for this little Shura and the guys got on the, on the helicopter or I guess we were picking them up and, they were like, "Hey, man, you'll never believe it." They they thought we were Russians, <laughs> and I was like, "Man, that's crazy. These dudes haven't seen like a Westerner in like I don't know twenty, yeah. thirty years." So yeah, yeah, it's wild just to, to think about it. Because because too, some of these villages they're not that far, you know, from places from you know like Kandahar and things like that. But yeah. it doesn't matter. They're they could be light years away for all for all they care because they don't they don't really leave their village, or if they do, it's just go no. the next village over. But yeah, well, they're definitely isolated. Hence the yeah. the problem with the the whole central government thing. You know, they're like, yeah. "What's the president gonna do for me?" You know, like I still think there's Russians flying around. Yeah, exactly. You know? I mean, how do you how do you exert so, any sort of governmental influence on that? Ugh. Exactly. So, how many other more? Uh, how many more deployments did you do following that one? Uh, that that was it. Okay. Um, I, I, after that one, man. Um, well, after that big battle, you know, we we lost the helicopter, and that uh, that messed with me pretty, pretty. I mean, it's hard for me. Um, so, um, I was kind of over the whole Afghanistan thing. You know, I was I was like, if if I can if I can avoid it, uh, I'm just gonna try to. I, that that kind of sounds bad. It's not like I was like dodging deployments but you know it's like hey if i don't have to do that again uh, oh, i'm yeah. not gonna you know i'm not gonna chase it down you know try to yeah. go deploy again but um i went to fort rucker after that deployment to go teach and then um after fort rucker uh i got a honduras deployment uh, not deployment but a rotation in honduras mm -hmm. Yeah. So what's, what's that about? I, I mean, I've known guys that gone down there, but I don't know too much about the mission. Man. Uh, the guys who create the missions don't know too much about the mission either. So, <laughs> uh, we, we were all speculating, um, what, what our actual mission was. And 
nobody could really give us a solid answer. So, um, <laughs> we, you, I would hear like before I left, you know, they're like, oh yeah, we, we intercept, uh, drug Cessnas, you know, all the time. And, mm -hmm. uh, and we do counter drug stuff. And when I got down there, they were like, yeah, we don't do counter drug stuff. But, uh, I, I think it's just to provide like a strategic presence in the region, you know, right. like they they have a huge runway there. It was C5 capable, but now it's an international airport, uh, mm -hmm. or it's being turned into an international airport. But, uh, it was like one of the only C5 capable runways in the region. So, uh, you're just kind of pop us, popping a squad on it to, to hold it essentially. Yeah, I think so. Um, we did a lot of like VIP support, you know, there's some congressional delegations would come and, uh, I don't know why they would ever want to fly on a Blackhawk, you know, for two hours to go to Guatemala, but mm -hmm. you know, we would, we would take them out there and, or we would fly, uh, out there and just kind of be there to take them around to the different sites in Guatemala or Nicaragua or El Salvador. Mm -hmm. Um, so, but it was, it was good time. Um, it was definitely probably some of the most challenging flying, um, that I've, I've ever faced, you know, cause again, it's, it's like Afghanistan, but not as, um, like the mountains aren't as big, you know, like, and nobody's shooting at you. Uh, yeah. but the, um, the weather reporting, there is none. I think there's three or four reporting stations. You know, there's one at the, um, the three major airports in the country. And then there was mm -hmm. one army or military reporting station out in the jungle. Uh, so there's no radar down there either. So any kind of storms that are popping up, you know, the weather guys looking at a, a satellite feed that's sometimes up to like 45 minutes old, you know? Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, I've gone out and they're like, Oh yeah, no thunderstorms. And we're flying instruments. And <laughs> all of a sudden we're stuck in a, a thunderstorm cell, you know, like getting tossed around. Yeah. It's like, I thought you said no storms. And he's like, Oh yeah, that was an hour ago. I'm like, Well, thanks. Yeah. Well, you, you've not had the full army pilot experience until you've been lied to by an air force weather guy. So. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> definitely. I remember taking one out of our headquarters building in uh, Iraq on my last deployment and and showing him like, look look at that thing on the other side of the runway. You can barely see it. You just briefed me. It's five miles. You know. Yep. <laughs> Come on, guy. Yeah. Well, when you see them go outside and look up, that's always the best. You know. Yeah. Definitely. Very inspiring. Uh, okay. Great. Um, so, but it sounds like, I mean, it's kind of grown up flying though. Cause, cause now you've, you've got to be able to make good adult decisions and instead of just kind of oh, leaning definitely. on somebody else. Definitely. Um, yeah, we, I mean, there was one week I got stuck in the jungle for like literally a week because the weather was just so bad. Hmm. And then finally like the Chinook guys. So they have a couple Fox model Chinooks, um, uh, down there. And then we have, uh, Shit, we had, we had two Alpha Pluses, uh, mm. and, which I think were the last two Alpha Pluses in the active duty Army inventory. Mm -hmm. And then we had a couple Limas. But, you know, we didn't have any kind of moving map or terrain avoidance or anything like that. So these, uh, these Fox Model Chinooks, you know, they got all the G-Wiz stuff, you know, the 
the glass cockpits, the uh, fully coupled flight director, all that stuff. Mm. And these dudes are like pushing us to like try to fight, pick through this weather. And it's like, <laughs> man, you know, like, nah, no thanks. It's just me up here with, you know, I was flying with like some Woj straight out of progression, you know, and I'm like, hey, man, we're not, <laughs> we're not gonna, we're just gonna chill here on the ground until it's good, you know? But finally he was like, he's like, Hey man, we're going to try it. And, uh, and if we can make it out, we're just going to go. And I was like, dude, I was the AMC of that mission. You know, I'm like, Hey man, like I'm telling you not to do that, but if you do it, like go for it, you know, whatever. (laughs) But, uh, you know, it's, it's different. They pop into a cloud, you know, they're, they're fully coupled, you know, like we pop into a cloud and now we're committed to the instruments, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's a bit more of a significant emotional event when yeah. you're when you're flying a Lima, you know the round dials and stuff. So finished up your career back at Rucker. Uh, yes, and then I then I went back to Rucker after the after the Honduras thing. I was um, I wanted to go back to Campbell. Um, so when I was at Fort Rucker before I went to Honduras, I didn't get that. Uh, the transition to the mic model. Mm-hmm. So um, that actually got me the job in Honduras because I was a Lima guy. Um, but uh, getting a job leaving Honduras was was more difficult. You know, they're like, hey, if you want to be a mic model guy, you can go to like Bliss, Riley, or somewhere else, Hood, I think. And I was mm-hmm. like, ugh, no, thank you. You know? <laughs> They, they wouldn't give me Bragg. They wouldn't give me Campbell. They wouldn't even give me Drum. Uh, but, that you know, that the branch manager at the time, uh, they were really – they did a lot of damage uh, to the to the Army aviation community, the Black Hawk community at least, mm-hmm. because they're um, – their, uh, I don't know how to say it, their attitude was not right. to take care of soldiers. It was just needs of the Army, needs of the Army. I actually knew two guys – who uh, were both the same profile, like both W3s, both IP, SP, uh, IE. You know, they, they had all their all their credentials. Like, you pull up the ORB, and their ORBs are, are very similar, you know? Like, mm-hmm. either one of them could do whatever job, you know, that they got sent to. Right. Well, one wanted brag, and the other one wanted drum. But the one that wanted drum got brag, and the one that Natural. wanted brag got drum. <laughs> And I was just like, how does that even happen? You know, like yeah. you got two dudes, same profiles. They, they want to go to, and they wouldn't let them switch or anything. So, mm-hmm. um, so I couldn't find a job that, that would get me the mic model. Um, but when DES came down the, to Honduras to do their uh, assessment or whatever they do, mm-hmm. um, I, I just, sat there and talked to uh talked to him for like two or three hours you know just like mentorship and mm-hmm. um just just chatting about what the army could be and how we're doing things uh the wrong way in a lot of places and uh he's like dude you want to come work at des man i like your ideas and i was like oh yeah that sounds mm-hmm. cool um so uh he said yeah just i can't since I was just W3, it wasn't promotable yet. He's like, most of them are W3P or 
there'll be four slots, but if you get down to Fort Rucker, you know, we're hurting for guys, I can pluck you off the flight line. Hmm. I was like, okay, well, let me call the branch manager. So call the branch manager, explain uh, to her what was going on. And she's like, okay, yeah, I'll send you to Fort Rucker. I was like, okay, cool. Great. So I call up the, the DES guys and I'm like, okay, I got to Fort Rucker. And he's like, well, okay, I, I just looked at your profile again. You know, you're not, you're not Mike model qualified. We really need you to be Mike model qualified. Like, all right, cool. So I called the branch manager up, sent him all the email traffic, you know, and uh, she's like, okay, I'll give you a mic model slot. So I got Rucker again, got the mic model slot. I'm like, all right, cool, I'm set. So I, I PCS and I get down there, go through the mic model course. And uh, the DS guy was like, yeah, we're full up now. But <laughs> and I'm like, oh, shit, man. So then I found myself back on the flight line teaching yeah. Flight School 21 again. It was like Groundhog's Day. So, uh, so that wasn't super fun, but, uh, it, it did keep me close, you know, cause my, my kids, uh, they live at Fort Campbell. Uh, mm. so that was Rutgers, probably the closest yeah. other duty station to Fort Campbell. Mm -hmm. So that was a positive. Yeah. It's hard when you're trying to get that, that one perfect job in the army because all the parts are moving around you. And you're just trying to to navigate all these things that are that are whizzing past you and trying to stay on target. And I've certainly had that that happen too. Where over the course of months, you know, something that that was easily obtainable, and now it's well, it's a little bit off. And, and, and next thing you know, you're completely out of sync with it. So, yeah, I think I think most of us uh, who've done a career in the military can absolutely uh, uh, commiserate with you on that one. Well, it's always you know I I totally get it. Like you, the army needs what it needs, you know, yeah. like you're, you're not here to get your dream job all the time. Right. But, uh, you know, at least try to, if you got two guys and one wants to go to brag and one wants to go to, yeah. you know, <laughs> seems like an easy drum, you know, don't send one to where he doesn't want to go. If, if you can support it, make it happen, you know? Yeah. Cause the happier you keep guys, you know, the, the better they're going to perform. That's my opinion. But yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's, I mean, hell that's science, you know, like, uh, yeah, right. I've known guys too. I've, I've known command sergeant majors who I should say sergeants major who, uh, same thing happened to them. You know, you've you got a guy in the seat and they're going to move him to another place. And, and at that other place, they got a guy coming to fill his seat and neither of them want to leave. It seems like an yep. easy fix, but nope, well, we're going to do it anyway. And yeah, I think, there's certainly, you know, not to bash the military, but there, there's certainly a culture problem right now when it comes to things like that, particularly in aviation, because you see it in the other branches yeah. as well, you know, pilots leaving in droves. And, and a lot of it has to do with with little things like that. And they're easy fixes that if you would just yeah, do this, really you know, because it's not money. I mean, I think the Air Force has proven that to us time and again. They throw gobs of money at pilots and they're still getting out. You know, yeah. you, can't, you can't scratch your head and say, well, gee, I wonder what it is. Well, you know, I don't know. Maybe talk to them find out yeah exactly but um yep well yeah, if the army loses all of its pilots it's still the army uh, so yeah. so it has been said so it's been said <laughs> yeah well and i guess now there's a thing uh they're they're offering up you can you can join the guard and not lose your pension uh if you want to fly in the guard i think really? something just came out about yeah something just came out about that which you know is tempting but i don't want to go to grtc and i don't want to deploy yeah. 
you know, it was like, if you can give me a guard job where I'm flying, you know, get, send me to IPC, I'll, I'll fly, whatever, and, and do some, some stateside stuff. But yeah, then you start thinking about all that other stuff that you're going to have to go through and like, yeah, no, I'm, I'm good. Yeah. I'll, I'll tell you, I miss flying Blackhawks like crazy. Sure. Yeah. I, uh, if I had, if I had the chance, I mean, now that you just told me that I'm going to, I'm going to look it up and, <laughs> and see what's going on. Cause I, I really do just miss flying that Blackhawk. Yeah. It's just a great, a great helicopter. So what's next for you? Uh, so I, I retired, um, my last day in the army was new year's Eve of 2019. Hmm. Uh, so I got out, I went up to infinity and started, um, uh, training up there and then COVID happened right in the middle of it. So, you know, I had like a, a job offer and I had multiple job offers. Uh, and then COVID happened and everybody's like, Hey, we don't need you anymore. We'll call you though, if we do. So, uh, so I just, man, you know, I know a lot of guys took flying jobs like, um, that back down at Rucker, but there was yeah. no way I was moving back to Alabama. Just not yeah. going to happen. Um, I knew a lot of guys took, um, like EMS flying jobs, stuff like that. And that just wasn't what I wanted to do. So, and, and of course nobody knew how long the COVID thing was going to last. So I just kind of held out. Um, started going back to school, like to finish up my degree, use that GI bill. That's, that's what I was doing during COVID. Also, you know, COVID really wasn't, and it wasn't that bad for me, for me. I'm just saying mm. personally, uh, sure. it wasn't bad for me. Like I reconnected with my kids. I spent more time with my family than I ever had in all my working years, you know, because I had that time. Yeah. Um, and nobody that I personally knew uh, got, you know, critically ill or died from COVID or anything. And I'm not saying, you know, like if you lost somebody to COVID, I, I get it, man, that sucks. But yeah. uh, I'm just saying for me personally, it, it wasn't bad. You know, it was like a blessing in disguise. Right. Um, but, uh, but, but I'm ready to get back, get back to work and, and do something yeah. with my life, you know? So uh, I start, uh, ground school with Sky West um, on the 24th of August. Uh, oh, that's great. Get that get that ball rolling again. No, that's that's great. Um, and of course, as we talked about, I'll, I'll be heading up to Infinity here soon too. So, looking forward yeah. to that. And I agree with you. You know, the, it's not about whether you believe in COVID or not. You know, because there's everyone's got opinions about it. But it has yeah. been feast or famine as far as the the um, you know the experience. And, and I, I share the, the same experience where, you know, I'm still active duty. I was at the Joint Readiness Training Center when all that stuff started. And I mean, all the rotation stopped. And, you know, if you're an OC and there's no rotation, there's really nothing to do. And so it was several months yeah. of basically just sitting around and then and then to move back to Bragg where I'm at now and the, the current position that I'm in where they don't really have much either going going on either. So um, I'm with you where I'm I'm strangely i'm i'm ready to get back into to work and do something else as, as i retire and transition um but yeah no it's great that's great news and it's great for for guys like us at the, the airlines and all the other you know flying jobs are kind of getting back into oh, yeah. the, the swing of things i mean it's it's a prime time to, to get back yeah. into it. i think it's going to be more 
urgent to get pilots than it was before because you know COVID forced yeah. all those then forced, but you know there's a lot of voluntary early retirements yeah. and stuff like that. Uh, yeah, yeah, the numbers seem to I pan out for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's definitely a was it a buyer's market? If we're the buyers, that's pilots. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's the pilots market. Right. That, yeah. It's, yeah, it's a pilot's market. I like it. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you uh, taking the time and telling us a little bit about, you know, your your experiences. And, um, you know, that's the whole point of the show is to, to capture all this stuff because I've talked to so many guys, that, you know, and, the, and I was guilty of it, too, is, you know, we didn't we didn't write stuff down. We didn't take pictures when we oh, should have. Yeah. You know, and next thing you know, it's 30, 40 years later. And you're like, man, I wish I wish I had done those things. So this is kind of yeah, kind of my way to help do that and, and catch some of the stuff before we, before we all get too old to remember it. Uh, yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. No, thank you for having me on. Uh, it was a blast. Um, I'm going to have to check out a lot more of these episodes. Well, I appreciate Brendan taking some time and coming onto the show and talking to us about his experiences. Uh, it was a pretty uh, hellacious battle. And I, again, I can tell you from, from personal experience, that area, there in uh in the sort of central afghanistan is a uh, pretty pretty wicked some some interesting terrain there and kind of one of those places where if something happens to you you're you're pretty far from anybody who can do anything about it for a while so it's definitely not a place you want to screw around and we definitely had our fair share of uh, events happening in that area so it's kind of good to hear that uh some some big bearded guys with guns went in there and kind of cleaned out a little bit just want to say thanks again for everyone who's listening leaving ratings I hope you guys are enjoying the show so far. We've got a few more guests lined up here as we complete uh, season one. Looking to do 24 episodes. Hopefully I can get those all knocked out before I head on up to school. And uh, then we'll take a small break, as I've told you, and then we'll start back up, hopefully uh, around October time frame. Just a reminder that the views expressed by the guests and hosts are their own. Do not represent the Department of Defense or any private businesses. Thanks a lot for listening, for supporting the show, and we will talk to you guys again soon. Take care. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.